Well, good morning, everybody. Wasn't it good to hear from Brian last week? Were you guys here to hear from most? I think most of you were here to hear from Brian. Um, we just so appreciate him. Um, because, uh, and if you weren't here, Brian Miller from Columbia, missionary in Columbia, his, his heart is just so aligned with well, our, our hearts between our church and his ministry, but, but um, just the way that he just serves and gives and, and of, his, of himself and the way he, he invites God to work actively. And he always has, I mean, I, every time, every single time we hear from Brian, there's some testimony of some tremendous miraculous thing that God is doing. And um, we just feel really blessed to be able to partner with them in their ministry. So I hope you guys were really, really blessed to hear from him. And I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned, anyway, I did. So, but um, if you guys want to be a part of supporting their ministry, you can do that through the church and mark any gift that you want to send um, and put it, you know, put it in the giving box or give through eGive or however you do it. And uh, we'll make sure it gets to them for, for any of the, if you want to support a particular project they're doing, any of that, um, we're happy to. To, to be a part of sending those things on to them. Well, let's go to the Lord together and see what, uh, see what the Lord will do today. Lord, we do thank you for your grace. We recognize that every morning your mercy is new, and we need it new every morning. But I thank you, God, that your grace is inexhaustible, and today your mercy is again new to us. And Lord, I want to pray over this church this morning that we would lay hold of the grace of God, that we would lay hold of your mercy, that we would lay hold of your power, Lord God, that by the Spirit of the Lord, you would work and move in this place. Lord, we have a, we have a desire to be changed by you, to be, the, to be changed by the Spirit of God. We don't want to come in here and hear something and go out of here and immediately forget what we heard. God, I pray in your name that you'd open up our hearts, Lord, like the opening of a flower before the sun. And I pray that the light of Christ would shine in. I pray that every one of us, Lord, would receive what we need, Lord, also to walk with you, Lord, and that we would receive an abundance so that we can go out of here and give and live lives that are generous, Lord, and be able to, to, get, to um, strengthen each other while we're in fellowship together. And when we're not able to be together and we're in other contexts, other places, God, I pray that we would have hearts that are full of the life of God. Use this word, Lord, I pray, like a seed. I pray that you would use it like the bread of heaven, Lord. Let it be the water of life. Let it speak to us. Let everyone hear something that stirs their heart and helps them. I pray that people's questions, that people who have certain specific questions, their questions would be answered. I ask God that you would be the the one. You're the only one who can do that. And I pray that you would speak to each person in this place, Lord, and we pray that you would be glorified through it all in the name of Jesus, would be made greater. And we ask it in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. So a few years ago, um, my wife and I were a part of a church, um, and it was a a good church, good people, loved God, and... um, when we came into the church, there were a lot of bro- there were a lot of things. It wasn't here, by the way, just so you know. I'll try to figure out who, where it was, whatever you know. Um, but there were a lot of things that were good, and there were a lot of things that were just broken. And the things that were broken were apparently broken. I mean, you could, being a visitor, you could tell. And um, so <clears throat> we came into that environment, and God just began to stir us to pray for that church and to support the leadership because we knew their heart was in the right place, 
to support the leadership and to pray for the broken places. And as we did that, we began to see God change things, the broken things, the things I said were apparent. And I don't mean preference things, like, well, I don't prefer that song, that, you know, not that kind of thing. I'm talking about, like, there's sin there. <laughs> or there's somebody manifesting a spiritual gift over here, but that's not the Holy Spirit kind of things. And, and so you're going, oh, Lord. In your, in your heart, you're going, ah, you know, and my wife's going, can we please leave and never come back? And I'm saying, I would, but I feel like God is saying, stay and pray. So we stayed and we prayed. And um, we, got, we saw God do incredible things. We saw him remove people from leadership who are in sin and unrepentant. And we saw him replace them with righteousness. People who, whose hearts were pure and right with God. We saw him do all, you know, such incredible things. And um, but one of the things that had caused or stirred up some of the trouble was there was kind of a prevailing undercurrent of what, um, of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, what he called cheap grace. He said, the, the enemy of the church today is cheap grace. And his definition of cheap grace was basically what Paul said was grace, which is a license to sin. Grace is so great, there's nothing I could do to ever dampen it. So even if I go on in sin, well, the grace of God is greater. And so instead of having an attitude of, oh God, because of all you've done for me and because of how much sin costs the Son of God, I'm going to stay as far away from sin as possible, it, took, it stripped the fear of God out of many people's relationships with Christ. And so they would walk in sin, come to church to repent. And it wasn't everybody, but it was enough that there was a culture of it in the church. On one night, my, my wife had a dream. I don't know if I'll get all the particulars of it right, but I can get the essence of it across. And um, we, there was a group of people in the room, known people from the church. My wife and I were there. But Jesus was sitting there. It's like he'd come, he'd come to lead a Bible study almost. And <clears throat> Jesus is asking questions to people in the group. And he's getting their answers. And he said, what, what is it? that I really want to see something like this manifest in the church. Is it grace or is it holiness? And a couple of the ladies, people we knew from the church, popped up and said, it's grace, it's grace. And then my wife or I or both of us or whatever popped up and said, it's holiness. And Jesus looked at us, looked at my wife or I, whoever it was, and said, yes like that. And that was the dream. And so it's, it's not that he doesn't want grace in the church. Do you understand? He speaks to us in the, in the context that we're in. The understanding of grace in the church there was broken. Because the true grace of God will promote holiness every time. Every time. The grace of God has come teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright and holy lives in this present generation. That's Titus chapter 2. So the true grace of God promotes holiness. If you have a false grace, it will leave people powerless to overcome sin, but they'll tell themselves, well, at least I'm forgiven. And so we live kind of a pitiful, powerless life, not much better than before we were saved. So we don't want to ever have that. We don't ever want to have that in our lives. And Jesus comes... <laughs> The Bible says in the book of Revelation, it paints a picture of him. It says, he who holds the, 
the seven stars in his hand, and the seven stars were the seven churches. And it also calls him him who walks among the seven churches. So if you picture this, he holds the churches in his hand, but he also walks among them. And how different, you know, would you and my life be if we, if we contemplated the reality that because we're gathered in his name, he's right here, right now. And I, I'm saying, what if we recognized what's actually true? He, I mean, are you here in his name? I am. Let's, we can, why don't we agree on that right now, that we're all here in his name? That, that we're here for his name to be exalted and praised. I didn't come here for anybody to see outfit. Great as it is, right? But No, but I didn't come here for anybody to, to recognize some special quality that I have. I didn't come here for any of that. I didn't come here to promote to you Life Bible Church. I didn't. That's not even on the radar. Because Jesus will promote Life Bible Church if we promote him. I don't have to promote it. You know what I mean? You guys will go out and tell your friends, come to my church. Jesus is at my church. So we just promote him. That's what it means to be gathered in his name. So if we come here in his name, he's here among us. And how different are our lives, are our homes, are our families? Because that's not just a church thing, right? Anywhere that you go, that you are together in his name, he's there with you. Anywhere and everywhere, in a prison cell, in the worst possible neighborhood you could go to on a missions trip in America at your job. If you're there together with other people who believe in his name, he's there with you. And so realizing that and living in that reality changes us. It changes us. When, they, when, they, when the Jewish people observe the Passover, they leave an empty chair and the empty chair, don't they? They have one maybe for uh, Elijah. They have a chair for Elijah, and I, but they do. But they do different things that are sim, that are symbolic. But to allow for the uh, the understanding that a presence that is not there actually is. We're inviting. We're leaving space, and you and I have to have to. It would be good for us sometimes even just to put out an empty chair, and say, "This is where the Son of God. This is for the Son of God. We're leaving space." making room for him. But we also need to somehow visually remind ourselves of a spiritual reality that if we're gathered in his name, he's there. And that changes us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this to the children of God. In verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance when you didn't know better. Excuse me, but like the Holy One who called you, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So this is a call to holiness that is extended to the people of God through Peter, but from God ultimately. He extended it to his people under the old covenant and they couldn't rise to the occasion because they were, they were constantly being condemned by the law that they were under. You and I have been liberated from the condemnation of that law into a covenant of grace. Praise God. Is anybody happy?
we don't think about it. Because you probably didn't, you were probably never under the law in the sense of trying to achieve a legalistic righteousness from that standpoint. But it'd be good for us to recognize that we were under the condemnation of God's law before we were in Christ, whether we tried to obey it or not. And so now that we are under the covenant of grace with God, no different, he says to his people, and now under the covenant of grace, be holy, for I am holy. And I've called this message the holiness of Jesus because I want to put the holy life that Jesus led on display for us all to see because that Jesus, the holiness of Jesus is what gives us the keys to walk in holiness ourselves. And, and I hope to make that clear as we go on today. But you read a verse like this and instantly it comes into our minds. How can any man or woman rise to that calling to be holy as God is holy? Where would we even begin? And that's a reasonable response. Be holy as God is holy. How is God holy? Well, he's perfectly holy. He's entirely set apart. There is none like him. He is absolutely pure. There is no, there is no darkness in him whatsoever. So it's a really high call, right? Right? He says, rise to the heights of glory and become like me. So where would we begin? In John chapter 6, Jesus, in his ministry on the earth, Jesus was thinning out the crowd. He had a ton of people following him. He had every kind, true believers, disciples, people who are just observers, People who were skeptics and full-on critics, he had all kinds who were just kind of in this massive crowd following him all around, and Jesus decides it is time to give some hard teaching. So he gives some hard teaching, what we talked about during communion, about how he said, my, my flesh is real meat, and my blood is real drink, and unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And then the disciples are waiting like he's going to get to the part where he says, hey, I'm just kidding, or like, there's some, here's what I mean. And Jesus goes, so there's that. And just lets it sit. And in John, this is so funny, John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, many turned back and were no more following him from that day. And um, so a bunch of people leave. And Jesus says in the very next verse, to Peter, or to the twelve. You do not want to go away also, do you? <laughs> He's not running after the crowds, right? And in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, eternal life. And in verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have believed that's placing trust and have come to know. It's also manifest in our experience. You are the Holy One of God. When Jesus went to cast out a demon, the demons would freak out. And they'd say, what do we have to do with each other, Son of God? We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. The demons had believed and come to know that Jesus was the Holy One of God. The disciples had believed and come to know that Jesus was the Holy One of God. So I just want to ask you, have you believed and come to know 
that Jesus is the Holy One of God. What's your image? What's your picture of Jesus? When I talked about the fear of God a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how, in that shared that poem where the guy said, too much friendship made him die. And I want to ask you about your concept of Jesus. Jesus is our connection point. He is, so, so there's, there's the eternal God and then there's mortal flesh and Jesus became the eternal God in mortal flesh. And he became, in, a, in effect, the bridge between the two. How can mortal flesh enter into the presence of an eternal God? Well, through the one who came in mortal flesh, the eternal God. And by giving himself on the cross, atoning for our sin, he, he made a pathway, made it possible for us through faith in him only to come into the presence of God forever. But the question I want to ask is, have you realized that Jesus is your friend, but that your friend Jesus is the Holy One of God? So first we believe, then we come to know Jesus is the Holy One. Sin from God and the full, he is the full manifestation of God's holiness in human flesh. Jesus wasn't less holy than God just because he was in a human body. He was fully God and he was manifesting the holiness of God. And this is the secret. If you want to know how to be holy, well, there's your example right there. The life that Jesus lived in the body is, is a picture and a type for us to follow, not just an example, but the spirit by which he lived, the words, the way, the way that he conducted himself and everything is the model for us to follow, to learn how to also be holy in a human body. Even we, I'm not com- equating us with Jesus, you understand. We're not Jesus. There's only going to be one of him. But we are called to holiness. <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus progresses as we walk with him. Have you found this to be true? That the longer you've walked with him, the more you realize about him. The more you come to see new revelations. Your eyes are open to new ways, to new things all the time. And if you have a, no walk with him or not much of a walk with him, you'll have little revelation. You can't help but see some things. But if you have a close walk with him, you will experience big revelation. Significant revelation. And I've probably said this before, but it's the idea of how far, where are you at in the crowd surrounding Jesus? Are you content to be a quarter mile back in the masses and just somebody who says, yeah, yeah, that guy up there, yeah, yeah, we think he's great. Or do you like to be right up shoulder to shoulder with him while he performs his wonders? Because the closer you are to him, the closer you walk with him, the more you'll see of his glory and the more that you will believe and come to know that he is the Holy One of God. Big revelation as we walk closely with him. And Jesus took his disciples up on the mountain and three disciples, Peter, James, and John, he took them up on the mountain and the Bible says he showed them his glory. And it says his clothes became white whiter than any launderer on the earth could whiten them. And there was light shining out of him. And they're beholding the glory of God. And he's showing them this. These guys, Peter, James, and John, Jesus pulled them into the most certain things that only they were a part of. And they're seeing his glory. And and Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah to make it all a little bit crazier, right? And Peter says, it's good for us to be here. Let me build some tents. 
Moses gets one, Elijah gets one, you get one, I get one, of course. Let's, let's stay on this mountain, like let's live in this glorious thing forever. And then he gets interrupted. And a voice speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. And he says, listen to him. And it says, at that point, they all hit the deck. Because even seeing the glory in that moment, they couldn't quite recognize. But then the, the affirming, thundering voice of God from heaven says, that's my son right there. Why are you talking instead of listening? Listen to him. And when the glory of God confirmed the sonship of Christ and the full deity of Christ, because in Hebrew culture especially, son means same as. Jesus was accused of blasphemy because he said he was the son of God because son means same nature. And so he, they fall down and then it says Jesus comes along to them in Jesus' way, you know, he comes to those and he, and, he, and he begins to lift up their heads and he says, don't be afraid. And it says they looked up and they saw no one except Jesus alone. And those words are chosen very carefully and very specifically because we all need a transfiguration experience with the Son of God. We all do. And because there's two things that happen in that moment. One, we see his glory. And two, we are left seeing no one but Jesus alone. So I'm asking you, have you had a moment with God that has ruined you for everything else? Have you had many such moments with God? Has there been a time in your walk and your experience with God where he so manifests his glory in your life that you just lost your desire for so many other things that the world has to offer and your eyes could only see Jesus alone? That's what I'm asking. And I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that. And if you haven't, I want to say, I want you to start asking God and ask him every day to take you up onto the mountain of transfiguration and let you see his glory. Moses talked with God as, as a man talks with his friend, like almost like sitting across the table from each other, having a conversation, but he, had, he, but he wasn't permitted to see God. His presence was real, it was tangible, but he couldn't see God. And even having the, the audible presence of, and the tangible presence of God, the audible voice of God speaking to Moses in the tent of meeting, Moses said, I need more of you. I need more of you. Would you just show me your glory? You've not let anybody else see it, but would you show me your glory? And God said, man, I, I really love your heart. This, is, this was God's response. I just love, he didn't, this, I'm, this isn't a quote but this is the essence. I love your heart, but if I gave you what you wanted, it would kill you. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll hide you in a rock, the cleft of the rock. We sing about it. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll walk by and let you see just my back. And so God <laughs> strolls by in his glory and lets Moses see his back, but he has to put his hand over the cleft of the rock, because if Moses saw the full glory of God, it would be too much for him. But it changes you to see the glory of God. It changes you. And it ruins you for all else that this world has to offer. 
You want victory over sin? You need to see God in his glory. You want to triumph over worldliness and all the things that pull at your heart that you know shouldn't pull, but they do anyway? You got to see God in his glory. And I'm not talking about a phys- necessarily a physical, visual visualization of his glory, but it's, it's a revelation. It's just as real as seeing, but it's spiritual. And it changes the way that we, it changes the way that we relate to God forever. <clears throat> in Psalm 73, 25, David writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. You hear people talk about, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to track down the Apostle Paul. When I get to heaven, I'm going to find my grandma, and we're going to worship in the presence of God together. You probably will. But has God so captured your heart that if nobody was in heaven but God, you would be content with just God? Because I'll tell you this, when you get to heaven, your first thought's not going to be, where's grandma? Your first thought's not going to be, where's the apostle Paul? And when you see God, you're not going to ask him all the questions you thought you were going to ask him. You won't be able to talk, probably, for a little while, a couple of eons, maybe. Except to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Except to glorify him in his glory. And in doing so, your heart will experience a full satisfaction that you never knew in all your happiest moments in the earth. You will want nothing else ever again. And that's eternal, glorious satisfaction in him. And that's, that's the end of all things. Whom have I in heaven but you and nothing I desire. Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. So let him ruin you on the earth and then and let him ruin you for anything else that you'd hope for in heaven until God is the only and the last desire of all your heart. I just want to see Jesus. He asked the blind man, what would, you, what, what would you like? And they said, sir, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. Put us in the presence of Jesus. That might not have been the blind man, but somebody in the Bible said that. So have you been on the mountain and seeing the God in his glory to your eyes, see no one but Jesus alone. All right, I want to shift gears just a bit here. And I want to talk about how we, how we work out holiness in the earth. Because <clears throat> consecration, we're talking about consecration in this series. Consecration is holiness. And I want to say this to you, and I hope this isn't too wordy or redundant for you, but I want to get this through. Becoming holy as God is holy means being holy as Jesus is holy. Our holiness should look like the holiness of Jesus. So I want to show you something first off. The holiness of Jesus as he lived in the earth was father-focused. He was completely separated unto God in the midst of the bustling crowd. And so what I'm, what I'm showing you about the life of Jesus was that the holiness of Jesus was the purest holiness that anyone could ever aspire to. I want to say attain, but I want to say aspire because it's a journey. We press on toward the prize and we make progress every day. But, but he was set apart unto God completely in the middle of the crowd. So let me show you this in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 
In the early morning, while it was still dark, that's before the day had even really begun, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And then in verse 36, Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. So Jesus, we see, the source of Jesus' holiness, first of all, was a cherished and guarded relationship with his heavenly Father. This was the source, if you want to say. His, I mean, he was holy. his nature was holy because he was the Son of God, but, but Jesus didn't say, didn't say, well, I'm the Son of God, I don't need to pray. I got this. Father, Father, you know, I appreciate all the advice, but I've got this. I'm the Son of God. No, he was entirely dependent on his Father. And that dependence was manifest through continual prayer. Through, but notice what Jesus did. He got up before the sun was up to go away and pray because he knew that as soon as the sun was up, there were a lot of things that he was going to need to be involved in. And he wasn't going to be able to spend the whole day, not in this instance at least. He wasn't going to be able to spend the whole day in prayer. He wasn't, he might, Jesus spent all night in prayer a few times in the Bible that are recorded. But I don't see, I'm not aware of one time where it's recorded that he spent the whole day in prayer. But he would sacrifice sleep to be with his father and to recharge and to receive everything that he needed from the father. And then he would spend the whole next day, even in his physical exhaustion, pouring out and giving and building up the kingdom of God and the people that were around. And this is my point in this. Though he cherished time with his father, the holiness of Jesus did not isolate him, but led him to engage with people. So beware a holiness that is based on isolation and introspection. A lot of times this is just repackaged perfectionism, which leads to bondage. So the difference, I'm trying to paint this picture for you. Jesus stayed right with the people in their uncleanness, in their sin, in whatever spot they were in, and he was always with them. And he didn't see the influence of the people as a threat to the holy life he was called to live before God. But there are whole holiness movements that are predicated on the idea of not being around people and things that might somehow corrupt or cause you to stumble or whatever else. And I'm, there are times to put, don't get me wrong, to put walls up and build safe, you know, good boundaries and relationships and things like that. But what I'm talking about here is centrally that Jesus drew upon the life of his father and then went out among the people and manifest the holiness of God. He didn't have to go climb up into a tower, you know. And there are people who, if I'm not, if they're not reading the Bible and praying, or if they're not in a church service, everything that looks like the presence of God just sort of starts to evaporate in their life. And if that's you or that's me, then we have to really stop and ask some hard questions. Why is it? Why is it that every time I leave the presence of God, I go and get into some kind of trouble I shouldn't be in? Why is it when I'm around these people I suddenly lose all my convictions and I start to talk like they talk and do what they do. And before I know it, I've got, 
another pi- mess that I've made and a pile of stuff to repent of before God. How, wh- wh- what's going on? And the simple answer to that is Jesus never left the presence of God. So when you finish praying, do you hang up the telephone? When you finish your devoted prayer time, is it like, okay, God, good meeting this morning. See you tomorrow. And then it's off in your own strength. I got it from here. And that prayer time, I'm jazzed, man. I'm energized. I feel good. How long does feel good last? 30 minutes, 45, till you get in your car and get in traffic? Jesus never left the presence of God. This is this thing of like, I gotta go get alone. If I'm not alone, I can't be righteous. I can't be holy. I can't sense God's presence if I'm with people. I've gotta be by myself, by myself, by myself, by myself. Well, God, help us. Because you are called. Whether you consider yourself a, what are the words that we use? If you consider yourself a uh, introvert or an extrovert, you are called to give away what he's given to you. Every one of us is. And we've got to really take a look at our hearts and see if the reason we don't have to be alone all the time is not perfectionism. If it's not that I just, I don't want anybody to see my faults and maybe if I can get enough things right, I'll kind of program myself to like just be good enough and then, you know, and then, you know, if I pull away a little bit, you know, but we just, we haven't learned to trust that he's always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And so we're learning how to walk with him all the time, whether we're an intentional prayer or just abiding in him, just like Jesus. So beware isolation and introspection as a source of holiness. These things can also be prideful unwillingness to be associated with the least of these. And this is where God starts to deal with our prejudices. And so if you didn't know it, prejudice is not all racial. We, that's the one that gets the most attention. But prejudice can be anything. You know, the Bible says, if a rich man wearing a gold ring comes into your church and a poor man who smells bad, if they come in and you treat the rich man with special honor and tell the poor man, come sit at my feet, you don't even get a chair. He says, have you not become judges with evil motives? That's a prejudice. If there are people, it's like, well, I don't, you know, you remember Brian sharing that story last week. He's talking about taking the people, they move to a nicer neighborhood to try to help get people involved in the ministry. And then they take these people who have lived a little bit more of kind of a cushy life with everything they ever needed and all this, and they take them out to minister to the, to the street girls, and they're kind of trying to do like, 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 not touch you, like, here's your bread. But he said after two or three times of realizing they're not going to give you something, they're hugging them, they're praying for them, they're crying on their shoulders. And that's God breaking down prejudice, is it not? That's God opening the heart. That's God teaching us to manifest his holiness in every environment, whatever it is. So we have to be aware. If there's anybody I'm not willing to associate, because we like our garments white and clean. So we choose, well, you're, this isn't clean or you're not clean but these people over here, they're clean. And Jesus just never lived like that. He just never did. There was nobody who was, un- who was too far gone or unclean or too bad off, you know, for him to go and to touch them, hold them, pray for them. Whatever God wanted him to do, Jesus did it and he manifest the life of God. And that was, 
And so his holiness was not about what other people thought about him. Remember, Jesus was a, a prostitute, was washing her, his feet with her hair and her tears. Anybody would feel very awkward if that was happening. The guy who, whose house he's in, Simon the leper, who apparently was not a leper anymore, probably because Jesus healed him, begins to criticize. And he says, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he would not have let her touch him. And Jesus, without addressing the inner thoughts of his heart, says, Simon, I have something to say unto you. And he says, teacher, go ahead and say it. And Jesus says, there were two men. And he tells him this story, of course. And what's he doing? He's going to expose to him his own heart. And he says, those who've been forgiven much love much. But those who've been forgiven little, well, they just don't love very much at all. The way this woman is acting is like somebody who loves quite a lot. She realizes all she's been forgiven. And by the way, weren't you a leper not that long ago? But already you've forgotten. And so we have to be so careful not to allow these things to, 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 to infiltrate our heart. I mean, if God exposes it, we have to go after it. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? And begin to do things that make us uncomfortable until God has healed us of all our prejudices. To be holy as he's holy. <clears throat> so how did Jesus walk in holiness? Always pleasing his father while under pressure and in the public eye. So I'm going to give you, Jesus gave, he gives us the keys and I appreciate it very much because if, if he didn't help us to understand, we would, we would stumble along and struggle so much. But in John 5, 19, Jesus said this, Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So, for you and I, I mean, this is, this is critical. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not original. If you want to know where my words come from, how can this man teach not having been educated? How can this guy get these miraculous powers, the kind of things that even the people in his own hometown said about him? Jesus said, well, it's simple. I'm not original. Nothing I've said is original and nothing I've done is original. It all comes to me directly from my Father in heaven. What I hear him saying, I repeat. What I see him doing, that I also do. And so what I want to say to us is to be holy like Jesus, we need, the need to be original must be sacrificed. Can we simply imitate our Heavenly Father as Jesus did? The, take the pressure off. Take the pressure off. I've got to come up with something, something significant to do with my life. What if you just asked God, what would you have me do? And then did that thing. What if it was something so simple like, oh, I don't know, like giving somebody a cool glass of water, but doing it in his name instead of in your own? Because Jesus said anybody who does that is, will never lose their reward. So anything done in his name has an eternal reward. So the attitude of the heart, of the holiness, the holiness of Jesus, the way that he lived and the way that we also are to live is in a constant asking and interaction with the Father. That's why I say he never left the presence of God. 
he's saying, Father, what, what should I say? And the words come. Father, what would you have me do? Well, that person over there is thirsty. Why don't you give him a drink of water? You know, your mom asked you to turn that water into wine, and you told her you, it wasn't your time. But I want you to do it. So it does it. So he does it. Whatever his father says for him to do, he does. Whatever he hears his father saying, he says. So the need to be original, I mean, I don't know. This, this is every, it's just our pride is always fighting against the life of God in us. Your pride. Why don't you, why don't, you know, kids, young people, you see this. It's like, well, I want to dress like nobody else I know. So what do you do? You look at the two or three people that you admire and you take little pieces of what they do and then you make your own thing out of it. But the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. Somebody else already looked like that before and they repented of it later. <laughs> I want to I listen to music nobody's ever heard of. You think this is real. You guys know this is real. I had, this is me and my friends. I want to listen to bands where when I like wear the shirt or talk about it, everybody's like, who's that? It's like, yeah, that's it. That's the point. Best music you never heard. I mean, if it's pop, whatever stuff on the radio, no, that, every, all of that's stupid. I'm original. It's like, no, you're not. You're just another one. You're just another one trying. And then one day God comes along and he goes, I'm not going to let you be original. You got your own fingerprints and face and that's probably going to have to be good. Everything else is going to need to be an imitation. If you're going to please your Father in heaven, you're going to have to just simply do what's asked of you. Do what's shown to you. Okay, great. God, well, I like where you're going with that. Okay, that's a fantastic... Oh, I love what you... The way you said that was great. I'm going to put a little twist on it and I'm going to... But it doesn't say that. It says, these things the Son also does in like manner. Exactly the same thing in exactly the same way. No original. Just got it. And then deliver it. You think, my point in saying all this is, can you do that? And everybody's staring at me like, I don't know. Because you're worried you're not going to hear anything when you ask, aren't you? You're worried you're not going to see anything when you look. And this is the faith challenge, this is the challenge point that I'm bringing to you right now. Do not believe that. That is a lie. And if that's been your experience, it's time for your experience to change. It's time for for your faith to rise to the level that God is calling you to and not to live in the place that you've been. You want to go to a new place? Then go to a new place. Accept. Faith is the gift of God. It's not, your, it's not for you to originate. It's given to you by God. So you just point at his word and say, Jesus said he, he, he said the things you said and did the things he saw you doing. Well, I need you to show me what you're doing and say, and I need to hear what you're saying and I'll pay attention. And watch and see if there isn't a new form that begins to take in your life. If God doesn't begin to do a new thing in your life because you asked in faith. And guess what? Jesus was the most original person who was alive in his generation because he refused to try to be original in and of himself. He ended up being the only one who was truly free from the fear of man. He was the only one who was truly 100% just authentic. 
just authentically himself because he was simply who his father had made him to be. And I want to say this to you because you and I have got to pay attention to the verse that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because God is going to give you a life to live that is not going to mesh with the way that other people live. And when people see that, they're going to begin to criticize. Whereas they should be happy because the fruit is so good. Instead, they get jealous and begin to criticize. And I want to say to you, you need to learn what I talked about in the fear of God. To put every single person who tries to rule over you by intimidation on the altar of God. Renounce the fear of them and continue to do what's right. Because God's going to make every one of you in some sense or another living out a life that's just a little different from the person even sitting next to you. Each one of you, you're going to have different convictions, different ways that he leads you. But every one of you has got to follow. And there's going to be things he leads us all to do. And those things will be a source of unity and great joy for us because we'll get to do those things together. He's going to give us words to say. and We need to say those words. To the person he says to say it without hesitating, without overthinking in the words he gave us. And don't change a thing. I heard so many people talk about this. God gave me this thing to say and I thought, you don't really mean for me to say it like that, do you? (laughs) Couldn't I just change this word or that one? Because that'll go over a lot better. And God says, deliver the message. How would you feel if UPS opened your packages? Said, I don't think you're going to like this or that but you can have everything else. You don't open the package, you just deliver it. And let God do what he wants to do with it in their heart. That's, you know, do that with words. And then the actions that you take, Jesus was led by his Father in heaven to make mud out of spit and rub it on a guy's face. You know, and he trusted his Father and he did it. We don't see him hesitate, but I think you and I would would at least hesitate, wouldn't we? And especially in the modern day when everything's getting reported, you know what they're doing down at Life Bible Church? They're putting spit on people. It's like, is this true? Yeah, it's true. Why'd you do that? Well, God told me to. How adequate is that going to be for people who want to criticize? Oh boy, another one. We got another one here. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We have to do what he asks us to do. And we have to say what he asks us to say. Originality, that's you, originality, you making yourself into what you want to be, is just repackaged independence. It's the opposite of abiding, and abiding is the key to all spiritual victory. You want to overcome sin? Learn to walk with Jesus every moment of every day. Invite Jesus into every circumstance and everything. Continually abide. Be always in his presence. Be asking him questions. Be talking to him. Be praying. Be, be inviting him. You know, just always in their interaction with him. Whenever your heart has a spare moment, go to him. When their mind is quiet, be quiet, but be in his presence. Whatever you need to do. But abiding is just a continual walk in connection with him. All right, I'm going to close this up because we are going to run out of time. But I want to give you just a few things quickly. Um, Characteristics of the holiness of Jesus. I wanted you to get the heart of it first. And now that I think we understand the heart of it, I want you to see just a few of the characteristics. First of all, in manifesting the holiness of his father, because that's what the holiness of Jesus was, Jesus took sin very seriously. And so should we. How serious did God take sin? 
You read the first three-fourths of the Bible and you get a pretty clear sense with the law, with the things that God commanded, took sin very seriously. Well, Jesus was not less so. He took sin just as seriously as his Father in heaven, but he came to be the cure for it. So the words he spoke about it took on a different tone, but listen to Matthew 5.30. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And of course, he's not advocating for literal cutting off of your hands, but he's saying be just that serious in the way you deal with sin. You say, well, I've got this continual struggle, this besetting sin. And he says, do you know what's causing it? If you know what's causing it, can you cut it off? Then cut it off and throw it away. You're like, well, I can't go through life without my cell phone. It's causing you to stumble, leading you into sins. What about you got rid of it and got a flip phone? Jesus said you could live without your right hand if it meant you'd go to heaven instead of hell. And you're saying, I can't live without my convenience. So you just know you just don't want to. Go ahead and say it. I just don't want to. Thanks for the advice. But God doesn't really give advice. Did you never notice that? He doesn't really give advice. If you think it's a good idea, why don't you consider? No, he kind of says, like, this is it. And then you've got to sort it out. Jesus took sin very seriously, and so should we. The holiness of Jesus meant also that he would, like his father, be gracious and merciful toward desperate sinners. How can you hate sin so much? And know what it's about to cost you personally. And love the sinners and want them to be delivered. That sounds like a conflicted person. But I want to say that's that's Jesus and that's who you and I are going to be if we walk with him. You and I are going to be conflicted people. We are going to hate sin with a holy hatred. And we're going to love the people who are stuck in it. Because we're going to want to see them free. In John 3, 16 and 17, these famous verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not because he wanted to judge it or because he hated it, but because he loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life to deliver from sin. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Praise God. And how many know, Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. We are not the saviors of the world, but we are instruments of the Savior of the world. And he sends us right back into the world to do what he did, not to hate people or to judge them, but to lead them to eternal life. One of of our favorite qualities of Jesus right here, the holiness of Jesus also, made him entirely intolerant of religious pretenders. Just as his father in heaven is, why was he so hard on the Pharisees? Listen to what he said to them, and this is just a sampling. You should read Matthew 23, all eight woes for yourself. Matthew 23, 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, Because, this is why, you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Jesus could not tolerate these religious pretenders 
go around talking about the Bible, but all you do is hinder people from entering the kingdom of God, and it caused a fire in him. Because Jesus is there talking about the same scriptures, but using them to give life and leading people to the truth. And he says, you guys over here with all your hypocrisy and your selfish motives and your lies and your manipulation and coercion and control and how you would take advantage of the weak, he's just, he just can't stand it. And so he brought the hammer down from heaven because he, you know, what did the Bible say? God says about his own word. He said, is not my word a fire and a hammer that shatters a rock? So when Jesus was working with the least of these, with the weak and with the broken, even though they were lost in sin, he was like, the Bible says, not a smoldering wick he would not snuff out. He would gently lead the nursing ewes. He treated them like tender sheep. But when he came to the Pharisees, he got out the hammer of God. Because he's trying to break this hardened rock of their hearts. But you get a glimpse into the heart of the Father in heaven, and you get a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. And so should you and I hate religious hypocrisy first right here. And then every place we see it, God will call on us many times to bring the hammer of God down on a hard heart with the hopes that that, heart, that, that rock will break open and God will be able to get his truth in and save that person Jesus wanted Pharisees to come to repentance. Do you realize that? And so he brought a hammer down to break open those, those rock hearts. Matthew 23, 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? He was just saying, if you guys don't change, this is the path you're on. You're not on the road to righteousness. But that was the holiness of God manifesting in the life of Jesus. And so will it also manifest in us. And lastly, the holiness of Jesus fit him to be an instrument of salvation in his Father's hands. And so will his holiness in us do the same for us. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7 says, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired. That was never the goal the things that were introduced under the old covenant, that was never meant to be the end. But a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. And now the surrender in verse seven. Then I said, behold, I have come. It's already been foretold. It's already been written in the scroll of the book. It's written of me. I've come to do your will Oh God. And he said, you're replacing all those old sacrifices with one sacrifice and it's my body. What a revelation to have. It's already written. And so it is written, so it must be done. So I have come to do your will, oh God. Here's my body. Here's all of me. And I give it. I give it freely. Let's stand up together. Lord, lead us. We want to follow We see the way that Jesus lived and we envy him and we look at it and we say, wouldn't that be something if we could just live like Jesus lived and and yet that is the calling, that is the call to every Christian. Whoever claims to live in him, it says in 1 John, must walk as Jesus did. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to see that not only are you calling us to that, you have already made provision for that. You have already given the spirit You've given us your help. Lord, you've called, you call to us now, Lord, and I pray we'd answer. 
God, I pray that when we're in a desperate situation, that we would lift up our eyes to heaven and lift up our voices to you and say, God, show me what to do. Show me what to say. And help us just to do what you're doing and to say what you're saying. And I pray that we would bring life in every place that we go and manifest your holiness in the earth while we live here. And may you have all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, that is our prayer. We want Jesus to increase. And we want to become less. I pray you'd give us victory over our own pride, Lord, and everything that hinders us in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, that we would go out from here empowered, full of the strength of Christ, Lord, to be able to just be simple, to be simple in our approach to you and to say, Father, is there anything you'd like to say? Father, what would you have me do? And to have open ears and an open heart, Lord, to hear and to see. And I do pray, Lord God, that you would set free anybody in here, Lord, who's been caught up in a snare of any kind of condemnation, of, of not good enough kind of thinking, all this. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that instead their hearts would be full with the grace that you have given and the witness of the Spirit in their own hearts that they are the children of God and loved by you no less than the Son of God himself. And I pray, Father, that knowing that Lord, we would walk in this world as light and as salt, that we would not be afraid to be a city on a hill, Lord, that shines, Lord, so that weary travelers can come and find rest and a place of, and a presence <laughs> and a place to be, Lord, of safety with the people of God, Lord. Use us. Use us, Lord. We don't want to pass through this world and then pass on and be forgotten. We want to live a life that brings glory to your name so that no matter what happens, Lord, the days that we live are one by one being redeemed for the glory of God. Give us the courage, Lord, that we need to act boldly. But I pray in Jesus' name that we would all, Lord, manifest the holiness of Jesus in this world as we pass through it. And may the world not be the same. May our friendships not be the same. May our workplace not be the same because we're there. I pray, Lord, for those who need their faith activated, that by the Spirit you would activate their faith. Fall upon them, fill them to overflowing, Lord, with your Spirit and with a spirit of faith that cannot help but proclaim the Word of God in all of its truth and glory. And may you, Lord, receive honor and praise from us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for all that you've shown us in your Son. And I pray you'd keep us, Lord, as we go from here and lead us in the way we should go as we walk through this world together. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you guys. Go in peace.